But such items multiply. Everything is interim. No one can govern anymore. And there are lots of them. Of thems. They always want to kill the leaders. With the best of intentions, or so they claim. The leaders have the best of intentions as well. The leaders stand in the spotlight. The killers aim from the dark. It's easy to score. As for the other leaders, the leaders of the leading countries, as they're called, those aren't really leading anymore. They're flailing around. You can see it in their eyes, white-rimmed like the eyes of panic-stricken cattle. You can't lead if no one will follow. People throw up their hands, then sit on them. They just want to get on with their lives. The leaders keep saying, We need strong leadership. Then they sneak off to peek at their poll ratings. It's the bad news. There's too much of it. They can't take it. But there's been bad news before, and we got through it. That's what people say about things that happened before they were born or while they were still thumb-sucking. I love this formulation. We got through it. It means dick shit when it's about any event you personally weren't there for, as if you'd joined some we club pinned on some tacky plastic we badge to qualify. Still, we got through it. That's bracing. It conjures up a march or a procession, horses prancing, costumes tattered and muddied because of the siege or battle or enemy occupation or butchering of dragons or forty-year trek through the wilderness. There'd be a bearded leader hoisting his standard and pointing forward. The leader would have got the bad news early. He'd got it. He'd understood it. He'd known what to do. Attack from the flank. Go for the throat. Get the hell out of Egypt. That sort of thing. Where are you? Tig calls up the stairs. Coffee's ready. I'm here. I call back down. We use this a lot, this walkie-talkie of air. Communication hasn't failed us, not yet. Not yet is aspirated like the H in honor. It's the silent not yet. We don't say it out loud. These are the tenses that define us now. Past tense back then, future tense not yet. We live in the small window between them, the space we've only recently come to think of as still. And really, it's no smaller than anyone else's window. True, there are little things going wrong with us, a knee here, an eye there. But so far, just little things. We can still enjoy ourselves as long as we focus on doing one item at a time. I can remember when I used to tease our daughter back then when she was an adolescent, I'd do it by pretending to be old. I'd bump into walls, drop cutlery, fake memory loss. Then we'd both laugh. It's no longer such a joke. Our now-dead cat, Drumlin, developed cat senility when she was 17. Drumlin—why did we call her that? The other cat, the one that died first, was Moraine— once we thought it was amusing to name our cats after glacial-dump geological features, though the point of it escapes me now. Tig said that Drumlin ought to have been named Landfill Site, but he was the one whose job it was to empty her litter box. It's not likely we will have another cat. 
I used to think, I thought this quite calmly, that after Tig was gone, for men die first, don't they, I might get a cat again for company. I no longer consider this an option. I'll surely be half blind by then, and a cat might run between my legs and I'd trip over it and break my neck. Poor Drumlin used to prowl the house at night, yowling in an unearthly fashion. Nothing gave her solace. She was looking for something she'd lost, though she didn't know what it was. Her mind, in point of fact, if cats can be said to have minds. In the mornings, we'd find small bites taken out of tomatoes, of pears. She'd forgotten she was a carnivore. She'd forgotten what it was she was supposed to eat. This has become my picture of my future self, wandering the house in the darkness, in my white nightdress, howling for what I can't quite remember I've lost. It's unbearable. I wake up in the night and reach out to make sure Tig is still there, still breathing. So far, so good. The kitchen, when I get to it, smells like toast and coffee. Not surprising, because that's what Tig has been making. The smell wraps around me like a blanket, stays there while I eat the actual toast and drink the actual coffee. There on the table is the bad news. The refrigerator's been making a noise, I say. We don't pay enough attention to our appliances. Neither of us do. Stuck onto the refrigerator is a photo of our daughter taken several years ago. It beams down on us like the light from a receding star. She's busy with her own life elsewhere. Look at the paper, says Tig. There are pictures. Is bad news worse with pictures? I think so. Pictures make you look whether you want to or not. There's the burnt-out car, one of a series by now, with its skeletal frame of twisted metal. A charred shadow crouches inside. In pictures like these, there are always empty shoes. It's the shoes that get to me. Sad, that innocent daily task, putting your shoes on your feet, in the firm belief that you'll be going somewhere. We don't like bad news, but we need it. We need to know about it in case it's coming our way. Herd of deer in the meadow, heads down, grazing peacefully, then woof, woof, wild dogs in the woods, heads up, ears forward, prepare to flee. Or the muskox defense, wolves approaching is the news, quick into a circle, females and young to the center, snort and paw the ground, prepare to horn the enemy. They won't stop, says Tig. It's a mess, I say, I wonder where the security was. When God was handing out the brains, they used to say back then, some folks we could name were last in line. If someone really wants to kill you, they'll kill you, Tig says. He's a fatalist that way. I disagree, and we spend a pleasant quarter of an hour calling up our dead witnesses. He submits Archduke Ferdinand and John Kennedy. I offer Queen Victoria eight failed attempts, and Joseph Stalin, who managed to avoid assassination by doing it wholesale himself. Once this might have been an argument, now it's a pastime, like gin rummy.
We're lucky, says Tig. I know what he means. He means the two of us sitting here in the kitchen still. Neither of us gone. Not yet. Yes, we are, I say. Watch the toast. It's burning. There, we've dealt with the bad news. We've faced it head on, and we're all right. We have no wounds. No blood pours out of us. We aren't scorched. We have all of our shoes. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. There's no reason not to feel pretty good. The bad news comes from so far away most of the time. The explosions, the oil spills, the genocides, the famines, all of that. There will be other news later. There always is. We'll worry about it when it comes. Some years ago, when, Tig and I were in the south of France at a place called Glanum. We were on a vacation of sorts. What we really wanted to see was the asylum where Van Gogh painted the irises, and we did see that. Glanum was a side trip. I haven't thought about it in years, but I find myself there now, back then in Glanum, before it was destroyed in the third century, before it was only a few ruins you pay to get into. There are spacious villas in Glanum. There are public baths, amphitheaters, temples, the kinds of buildings the Romans put up wherever they went so they could feel civilized and at home. Glanum is very pleasant. A lot of upper-level army men retire here. It's quite multicultural, quite diverse. We're fond of novelty, of the exotic, though not so much as they are in Rome.